So please open up your Bibles to Psalm 84. We're going to be in Psalm 84. Follow along as I read. It says, To the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever sing in your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So Psalm 84 is a pilgrimage psalm that expresses a deep longing to be in the presence of God. In biblical times, this psalm expressed the joy of a pilgrim traveling up to Jerusalem, then up into the temple to celebrate one of the feasts. The pilgrim focused his attention on the thought of being in the very presence of God. And this psalm has been referenced by some as the pearl of psalms. So in the beginning of this psalm, the psalmist gives instructions to the choir master. So the choir master was the minister of music in the tabernacle or temple. This was the person who trained the choir and was in control of their singing as they sang the psalm. The instructions to the choir master are that it is to be sung according to the Giddith. So the phrase according to the Giddith is commonly understood to refer to the name of a tune, although this is uncertain. Other suggestions include musical instrument or some other musical notation perhaps representing the mood of the music. The music. So the actual Hebrew definition of the word giddeth means a gittite harp or a wine press. So next in the superscription, we see that Psalm 84 is a psalm of the sons of Korah. So the sons of Korah were one of five major Levitical clans. The existence of two groups of psalms associated with them and the reference to one of their number being appointed by David to lead the temple music has led to the widespread view that the sons of Korah were especially associated with the music of the temple. Again, Psalm 84 is a pilgrimage psalm that expresses a deep longing to be in the presence of God. With that, let's consider the first point of this psalm, a desire for the courts of the Lord. Verse 1 through 4. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever sing in your praise. Selah. 
So the psalmist starts in verse 1 by expressing just how lovely God's dwelling place is. This dwelling place of God here is referring to the temple in Jerusalem where pilgrimages were made in order for the people to come into the presence of God. The temple was where God chose to reveal his presence to the people. And the psalmist is not just focused on the beauty of the temple itself, although it was magnificent, but his focus is on being in the presence of God. So this is what excites him. This is what causes him to praise and to worship God, his desire for the courts of the Lord in order to be in God's presence. And we see this desire all over the Psalms, this excitement. In Psalm 8, verse 1, says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And in Psalm 27, 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So brothers and sisters, I find myself asking this question lately, if I shared this same attitude as the psalmist. Do we come here on Sundays to worship God with this type of excitement, shouting praises to God on the way in our cars? Brothers, are we leading and preparing our families to to corporate worship, for corporate worship? Are we setting the tone each morning, each Sunday morning in our household when we wake up? Are we praying for ourselves? Are we praying for our family, for what God may have in store for them through the preaching of his word, the fellowship of the saints, and the blessing of the sacraments? Sisters, are you being a helpmate to your husband and following his leadership? May we all, including myself, grow in this area as God's saints. Amen? So ask, ask yourself, do I have a desire to worship God? Psalm 84.2, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Charles Spurgeon, a famous Baptist preacher of old, said, some need to be whipped to church. While here, the psalmist is crying for it. He needed no clatter of bells from the belfry to ring him in. He carried his bell in his own bosom. Holy appetite is a better call to worship than a full chime. Now, some of you guys don't understand what that means. Back in the day, they used to have bells that they'd ring church bells, and that would call the people in the town to worship. So he didn't need that. Maybe for some of us, we don't resonate with what Spurgeon said about being whipped to church when we come on Sunday. Maybe we do indeed resonate with the psalmist. But what about every other day of the week? Does our deep desire to worship God flow into our Monday morning as we head to work or teach our kids or face life's many challenges? I fear that for many of us, we quickly forget and fall into the routine patterns of life. And before I attempt to help us correct this, Let's look at more psalms that express this deep yearning for God. In Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In Psalm 63, 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
So these expressions of worship for God that we see in the Psalms seem so foreign these days. I find myself asking the question when I read the Psalms, do I seek God in these ways to the point where I'm thirsting for him, where I'm panting for him and desiring to be in his presence? Or am I too worried about the busyness of my life and what's next on my to-do list? Do I wake up each morning with this type of longing for God to the point of fainting with a desire to go to him in prayer and his word? Or do I wake up each morning jumping right on Facebook to see who liked my post from the night before? Or do I check my email or my text messages? What I'm getting at is this. What or who do I worship based on the evidence in my daily life? If it is not God and I'm a professing Christian, then I have my priorities mixed up. When I read the excitement of the psalmist in verse 1 and 2, I can't help but to picture the psalmist jumping for joy at how excited he is to be in the presence of God. Think of a time when you have been so excited for something that you just start yelling out how beautiful it is or expressing your excitement with smiles and laughs, right? You're going to the amusement park or you're going to the beach or you're going to the mountains, wherever it may be. You're so excited because you're away from the grind, right? You have so much excitement and or surprise that you feel like you're going to pass out. Or you have so much joy that you feel as if you're jumping over the moon that nothing can take your joy from you. It's really great, right? Well, if this thing you are ecstatic about is not God, your joy will cease the moment the experience is over, or the moment the person is gone, or the moment that the object is taken away. Right? We come back from a vacation, or we know it's time's up, time to go back to life. We're like, man. You see, all things are temporary, but God is everlasting. As Christians, our greatest joy should be to worship God. In fact, that is why we were created. We were created to worship God. God made us to glorify him so that his glory would be known and praised. We glorify God by trusting in Jesus, by enjoying him, by treasuring him, growing in our knowledge of him, believing his words, obeying his commands, and by showing and telling the world just how great he is. So as Christians, we are to fear God. And this is not a fear of his wrath. Rather, it is an awe. It's a reverence for his holiness and majesty. It is a respect for God himself, who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. So when we understand this and have this solid foundation, we cry out with the psalmist, how lovely is your dwelling place, or Lord, or Lord of hosts. My soul longs, it, yes, it faints. It faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. See, so much so that I can't even get the words out right. Okay? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Yes, God, keep me in your presence forevermore. I long to be with you in eternity. I praise you. I sing for joy because of who you are. For you, O Lord, are the living God whom I worship with my life. Church, we need to start each day this way, with putting God above all else, above all the noise, above all the things calling for our attention. We need to start each day with a desire to worship God. Start your day off each morning by speaking to God in prayer. Spend time in his word to read and hear what he desires of you. As you do this, the Holy Spirit will illuminate God's word to you. 
and it will be a blessing to your soul. May the flame in our hearts not be that of a pilot light, but of a flamethrower. Amen? I pray that we'd all desire to worship God more with the days that he gives us. This delights him. God tells us through the prophet Jeremiah that he wants us to understand him. He wants us to know him. So I must ask myself, do I resonate with the psalmist when he says that his heart and flesh sing for joy and his soul longs to be in the presence of God? May it be so. Psalm 84, verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord, o Lord of hosts, my King and my God. So in verse 3, the psalmist expresses playful envy, for he is jealous of the birds who get to always be in the courts of the Lord. The sparrow finds a home in the courts of the Lord. The swallow makes a nest at the altars where she lays her eggs and raises her young. What the psalmist is telling us here is that he had a long or a deep and urgent desire to be in the presence of God. Spurgeon said that he had a holy love sickness upon him. The psalmist simply desired to be in the presence of the Lord in his courts in Jerusalem at the temple. But let me tell you something, church. As Christians, we no longer need to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God, to be in his presence. The temple isn't there anymore. Listen to Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman in John 4, verse 20 through 24. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Christian, God is with you now if you belong to him. God dwells within you. At regeneration, God the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in the body of a believer. This means that God is with you wherever you go, and he will never forsake you. So if you ever feel like God is distant, cry out to him. He is with you no matter how distant you may feel from him. And what you would also be blessed by when you feel like God is distant from you is a desire to be among the saints. Psalm 84, verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever sing in your praise. Selah. So what the psalmist is declaring here is that those who lived in the temple courts were blessed. They were blessed because they were always in the presence of the Lord singing praises to him. They didn't come and go as other worshipers had to. They remain there. And Spurgeon said that to come and go is refreshing, but to abide in the place of prayer must be heaven below. To be guests of God, enjoying the hospitalities of hearer, set apart for holy work, screened from a noisy world, and familiar with sacred things, why this is surely the choicest heritage a son of man can possess. So how does this apply to the church today? Again, if you belong to God, then God dwells with you and you with him. David said that surely goodness and mercy would follow him all the days of his life, and he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
This is true for you, Christian. You are blessed because you dwell with God now and will one day dwell with him in eternity. And we're going to get to that shortly. Before we do, I want to focus on how we as God's saints should be towards one another in regards to gathering corporately on Sunday for worship. And to do this, I want to look at the early church, looking in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. We're told in Acts that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the early church, they devoted themselves to gathering with the saints to hear God's word preached. They devoted themselves to fellowshipping with one another. They broke bread together. They prayed together. Awe came upon every soul. They were together and they had all things in common. What did they have in common? They had Christ. The Apostle Paul taught the believers in Galatia that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. So the believers in the early church, they were devoted to helping each other out. They were devoted to sharing what they had with each other. It says that they also attended the temple together. They had joy. They cried out with the psalmist of Psalm 84, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever sing in your praise. So do we come with joyful hearts on Sunday to worship God with our brothers and sisters corporately? Or are we among those whom Spurgeon said need to be whipped to church? Okay, may we continue to learn from the psalmist this morning as he tells us, blessed are those whose strength is in God. Psalm 84, verse 5 through 9. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our God. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. So the psalmist just spoke of the blessing that it is to dwell in the house of the Lord, the blessing that it is to be in the presence of God, singing praises to him. Now he's going to speak to those who make the pilgrimage to the temple at appointed seasons to worship. He reminds them that their strength isn't in themselves, it's in God. People traveled from all over to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God. It was not easy. It was very tough. It wasn't a 10-minute drive in a car with air conditioning to the place of worship. Oh, how spoiled we are to ever complain about making it to church on Sunday. It was God who gave the people all they needed for the pilgrimage. In verse 5, it says, "...in whose heart 
are the highways to Zion, or Jerusalem. This means that they were coming to worship the Lord with a right heart. Their minds were ready. They had a strong desire to make their way to be in the presence of God. It was their joy for the Lord and their strength from him that made them excited to make the journey. In Psalm 122, verse 1 and 2, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So I asked myself, is this my attitude? When Sunday is coming, do I get excited? Do I scream out to my family in excitement, let us go to the house of the Lord? All right, what if I'm having a rough morning and things aren't going perfectly as my family gets ready? Am I still joyful? The psalmist here teaches us that we are to be joyful in all circumstances. So look at verse 6 of Psalm 84. It says, As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. So the valley of Baca mentioned here was not a joyful place. In fact, the Hebrew word Baca means weeping. It was a valley of weeping or a valley of tears. The psalmist says that these people make it a place of springs. Now this could have two meanings. The first is that this dry, arid valley is watered by the pilgrims' tears as they head to Jerusalem, either tears of joy or tears of sadness for their sin. I think both would be appropriate. The second possible meaning is that they make this dry, arid valley a joyful place as they praise God on their way to Jerusalem. It is a dry and miserable place, but they don't let that get them down as they make it a place full of springs. So I want to touch on each of these meanings as they are all beneficial to us as Christians. <clears throat> so as we come to worship God together corporately, it is all right for us to experience both tears of joy and tears of sadness. I have seen both of these expressed as the word is preached. Some may hear the word and be convicted of sin. This may cause tears of sadness as they hate their sin and desire to confess it and repent of it. Some may hear the word and have tears of joy for who God is and what he has done in their life to free them from sin and death. And as these pilgrims mentioned in the psalm traveled through the Valley of Baca, they could have experienced both of these as they prepared to be in the house of the Lord. Now, the second meaning helps us to be joyful in all circumstances. No matter what your circumstances are or how bad of a place you may be in, you are joyful to come to the house of the Lord by singing praises on your way. It has been suggested that the people mentioned in Psalm 84 may have been singing what are called the Songs of Ascents, located in Psalm 120 through 134. We as Christians can learn from this as we seek to be joyful in all circumstances. So if you belong to Jesus Christ, you will experience hardship in this world. Jesus told us this. We often pass through dry, arid valleys throughout our walk. Right? We go through afflictions. We encounter temptations, desertion, weeping, and trials of various kinds. John Gill said that the way to the eternal house of the Lord lies through the valley of weeping. None come rightly thither, but who come weeping over their sins and unworthiness, or by repentance towards God, and by looking by faith to Christ, whom they have pierced and mourning for it. 
So we will still sin while in this world, but we look forward to what is coming for those of us who belong to Jesus by repenting and by growing in holiness as we travel through the Valley of Baca toward eternal Zion. And we aren't left to do this alone, church. God has provided and will continue to provide for his saints. In the second part of verse 6 of Psalm 84, we are told that the early rain also covers the Valley of Baca with pools. These are pools of water. God promises to provide. He provides the food in our bellies, right? He provides the water to keep us hydrated. But most of all, he provides himself for his chosen people. So if you belong to Jesus, you have the greatest thing you'll ever need, and that is the Son of God. Jesus was tempted with food after having fasted for 40 days. But what did he rely on? He relied on God's word as food, food for the soul. We need to not worry about anything. Jesus said that God takes care of the birds of the air. How much more will he take care of you? God is the sustainer. He is the provider. Now, does this mean that you will never go without food or water or anything else? Absolutely no. You may very well suffer. But those things don't matter when you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. They don't matter. He is the greatest gift. He is the greatest treasure. We must be joyful in Jesus, our Lord. And we must be steadfast in our worship. Psalm 84, verse 7 through 9, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our God. Sorry, behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. As these pilgrims make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they grow stronger. Instead of getting weaker as they continue on towards Zion through the valley, they get stronger and stronger. They continue finding new levels of strength for the journey until they appear before God. Now think about this for a moment, Christian. These Israelites are coming from all over to worship God. They are traveling through tough terrain, either by foot or by animal. And the psalmist says that they don't grow weary or weak, but they remain steadfast in their worship of God as they do this. Spurgeon said that each individual becomes happier. Each company becomes more numerous. Each holy song more sweet and full. So how many times do we complain about first world problems, like our cars not starting or our air conditioning going out when it's 100 degrees out, right? Do we remain steadfast in our worship of God when these things happen, or do we become undone by our temporary circumstances? Spurgeon said that if we spend our strength in God's ways, we shall find it will increase. Proverbs 4.18, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. So brothers and sisters, if you truly belong to Jesus and abide in him, then you too will go from strength to strength and will one day appear before God in holy heaven. Now, for some of us, we may not see ourselves going from strength to strength. We may be struggling with our faith due to our circumstances. Maybe we feel defeated by depression or by anxiety. Maybe we feel defeated with some physical ailment. Maybe we feel defeated by our sin. This may very well be the case for a lot of us, and that's okay. 
God uses our circumstances. He uses our trials and our thorns in the side for our good. He is doing something with it that you wouldn't believe if told. We are going from strength to strength, even when we don't see it, church. If you are in Christ, you are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree to another as you grow in Christ-likeness. So may we all be encouraged by the Apostle Paul's words to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, And we all, he's talking about all Christians, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Next in verse 8, the psalmist turns to joyful prayer because he is joyful for his journey to be in the presence of God. And I like what Spurgeon had to say about this portion of Psalm 84. So be blessed by this church. Spurgeon said, Our best prayers when we are in the best place are for our glorious King and for the enjoyment of his Father's smile. Under the most favorable circumstances in which earth's pleasures can be enjoyed, they are not comparable by so much as one in a thousand to the delights of the service of God. To feel his love to rejoice in the person of the anointed Savior, to survey the promises and feel the power of the Holy Ghost in applying precious truth to the soul is a joy which worldlings cannot understand, but which true believers are ravished in. Even a glimpse at the love of God is better than ages spent in the pleasures of sense. So in verse 9, the psalmist tells God to behold their shield. Shield here is a metaphor for the king and his role as protector of his people. So the king was not only a political leader of Israel at the time, but also a reflection of God's kingship on earth. The psalmist asked God to look upon the king's face, whom God has anointed, God's chosen one. Oh, how far our kings and presidents have gotten away from their purpose as reflectors of God on earth. But we Christians don't lose heart. Blessed is the one who trusts in God. Psalm 84, verse 10 through 12. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So the psalmist declares that one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. Now think about that for a moment. Think of some of the nicest places that you have visited in your lifetime. Maybe it was the Caribbean. Maybe it was Cancun. Maybe it was some beautiful mountain. Maybe it was another country across the ocean in either direction. Or maybe it wasn't even a nice place, but it was a very special day, like at the hospital witnessing your son or daughter being born, or maybe your wedding day. None of these compare to being in the presence of God, not even close. To be in the presence of God is the most cherished place a Christian should long for. The psalmist declares that he'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of his God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The joy of the former is permanent. The joy of the latter is temporary. 
Here's Spurgeon again on this point. He says, The lowest station in connection with the Lord's house is better than the highest position among the godless. Amen. Only to wait at his threshold and peep within so as to see Jesus is bliss. To bear burdens and open doors for the Lord has more honor than to reign among the wicked. Every man has a choice, and this is ours. God's worst is better than the devil's best. God's doorstep is a happier rest than downy couches within the pavilions of royal sinners, though we might lie there for a lifetime of luxury. The psalmist declares, church, that God is our sun and shield. Verse 11, the first part says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and in favor and honor. Says the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So Christian, the Lord will give grace along the way for every time of need. We are blessed and will be blessed as we walk not by sight, but by faith in him. He will give glory as we are glorified at the end of our journey when he welcomes his redeemed children into eternal life where we will dwell with Christ and be in the presence of God forever. In Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Church, being in Christ and truly trusting in him is the saint's everlasting rest. Psalm 84, verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So these last two years of my life have been a true test of my faith for me at as my wife experienced an excruciating medical condition after the birth of our fifth child. She was not able to sit up at all without her head feeling like a bus was sitting on it and feeling like she was constantly being shocked whenever she ate. Anytime her jaw moved, she would get shocking pains all across her head. She had to stay bedridden. She was not able to care for our newborn. My oldest daughter and some of our dear sisters in Christ here at Disciples Church had to step up and take care of the little one so that I could provide for my family. To make a long story short, after many doctor's appointments and scans here in town, we had no answers other than my wife's brain was sagging into her neck due to a loss of pressure in her skull, thus causing the pain that she suffered. We were sent to Los Angeles and they found the problem. A year and a half later, she had surgery at Cedar sinai to fix a CSF leak on her spine. So she had a leak on the back of her spine, and that caused a loss of pressure and caused her brain to sag. So during this trial we were faced with, I wanted to find a book to go through with my wife. I encountered a Puritan classic called The Saint's Everlasting Rest, written by Puritan Richard Baxter in 1650. I'd encourage you to get it. While in the throes of a serious illness and confronting the real possibility of death, Baxter reflected deeply on the reality of heaven and the difference that makes for believers in Christ. During his recovery, he wrote The Saint's Everlasting Rest, which would become his best-selling book. In it, he meditates on what Scripture reveals about heaven, helping believers live an abundant, God-honoring life in anticipation of eternal rest. So overall, this book helped me, and it helped my wife, to not look for hope in our temporary circumstances to not look for hope and a cure and hope for my wife to be freed from this painful ailment. 
but to look towards the hope we have to be in eternal glory with Christ. That hope is the saint's everlasting rest. So as we go about our days that God gives us here on earth, our temporary dwelling place, we look onward and upward to be with Christ in our eternal home, which is everlasting. This is so important, church. And I'm very thankful for Baxter and for him writing that book to remind me of that truth. If you don't know, it's a small book that you can get, but when he wrote it, it was actually a thousand-page sermon. I couldn't imagine writing a thousand-page sermon. Okay, but he thought he was on his deathbed, and there was a lot going on. If you read the book, you'll find out. I'm going to leave you there with that. So may this be true for you as well, church. Psalm 84:12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We don't trust in medicine, although God has blessed us with it and doctors to administer it. We don't trust in being healthy, although good stewardship of our bodies honors God. We don't trust in temporary things like our homes, our jobs, and our circumstances, although we are to steward these well. No, blessed is the one who trusts in God. We look forward each day to being with Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord in holy heaven, as we proclaim his gospel to a lost and dying world. Amen? We have no need to make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem, for it is no longer there. We are the temple that God dwells within. He is with us wherever we go, and we will be with him. That is our hope. Revelation 21, verse 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor any, anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, Jesus came into the world, the perfect sinless Son of God, to save sinners. We are all born sinful by nature because of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Each one of us is conceived in the womb in sin. We cannot escape it. All right, the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages, what is owed to us for that sin is death. That is our sentence for sin. It's a death sentence. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God sent his one and only son in the likeness of men to live a perfect, sinless life, die a horrific, sacrificial, substitutional death on a cross for his people, taking on the wrath of God that we deserved for our sin. Three days later, he resurrected bodily from the grave in order to defeat death and sin and reconcile his people into an eternally secure relationship with God. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Blessed is the one who trusts in God. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are justified by faith and have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, the scriptures declare. Sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You cannot earn it. It is a free gift. So, are these things true for you? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior, or are you still Lord of your own life? If you belong to Jesus, then you can declare with the psalmist, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, blessed is the one who trusts in you, Lord. Blessed is the one who desires to be in your presence. May we as your children cry out with the psalmist, let us go to the house of the Lord. Father God, I pray for each one of us here this morning. I pray that we desire to worship you. I pray that we desire to be among the saints. I pray that we'd be steadfast in our worship of you. I pray that we'd be joyful in all circumstances, that we find our strength in you, for you are our sun and our shield. Pray that we'd walk by faith and not by sight and strive for holiness, for it is you who bestows favor and honor. I pray that we would know that the saint's everlasting rest is only found in Christ by abiding in him and trusting him. May we take what we learned here today from your word and apply it to our lives for your glory and for our good. It is only because of Jesus Christ that we can pray to you. Amen.